Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. In this episode of Cork Talk, we sit down with Ben and Becky Starr of Starlight Mead in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Ben and Becky tell us about how they first became interested in mead making, which for them started when they visited a Renaissance festival. Once they got started, they were hooked, and over the past eight years, they've grown their business to what it is today. They make bold and flavorful meads, focusing on letting the star ingredients shine through. As Ben says, he likes to taste what the flavor is supposed to be. This episode was a lot of fun to record. Ben and Becky were great to talk with, and we hope you enjoy. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. So we're here today with Ben and Becky Starr of Starlight Mead here in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Ben, Becky, welcome to Cork Talk. Thank you. Hey, we're glad to have you here. <laughs> we're glad to be here. So Ben and Becky, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got interested in mead. So I'm, I'll tell you who I am and then Becky can tell you who she is and a little bit of her story. <laughs> <laughs> um, ben Starr grew up in Southern California and uh, moved out here um, in 2000. Um, so I've been here for a while. Love North Carolina. Um, love mead. Uh, and uh, I am the mead maker. Uh, I'm Becky Starr, and um, I run mostly the tasting room and a lot of the business side of things. So I do. I, I wear a lot of hats. Um, I do the books. I do all of our marketing, um, and uh, take care of the tasting room. So um, any of the events that we're doing, that sort of thing. Very cool. So now, what interested you both in me? What got you started? So we're one of those people that had me at a Renaissance fair for the first time. Yes, it's true. Uh, we actually liked it. Uh, we met some friends years later that were making their own mead. We're like, that's super cool. You can make your own. Let's try this. And so we got a winemaking kit and um, basically made our first batch of mead. And we had so much fun with it. Two weeks later, we were making our second batch. And two weeks after that, we were making our third batch. And it became, what can we throw in it? Uh, fruits, uh, spices, what, what else can we throw in it? Different honey. And it was a lot of fun. Um, we were making way more than we could drink. So we were giving it away free to our friends. We said, this is the best mead we've ever had. And we're like, yeah, sure, you've got an empty bottle in your hand. We don't believe you. Um, and so about two years in, we actually entered a, um, the International Mead Association Mead Festival competition. There were 212 meads in competition. We entered three, and one of our meads took the gold medal in its category, and then they judged the nine gold medal winners against each other, and it took best in show out of 212 meads wow. on our first competition. And we were we actually happened to be there, and we were like, <gasps> and our jaws hit the floor, and, and we, we could not believe it. We were shocked. And we're like, in the plane on the way home, we were, you know, we need to do this for a real job. This, this, is, this is crazy. Um, we were both working in corporate America at the time. There were layoffs going through both of our companies. And uh, we're like, you know, let's, let's start working on a business plan. Let's see what we have to do to do this. And so we came home and we were working on the business plan nights and weekends. And um, literally a month after we won the award, I got laid off from my corporate job. And we're like, okay, this is a sign from the universe that we need to, you know, quit futzing around on the weekends and do it for real. And so I started taking some classes. I filed our LLC paperwork, and we were all like ready to go. And uh, we had found a location that we really liked. And the general contractor told us, you know, it would be six months before it was ready for us to start our building and stuff. And we're like, okay, cool. And so I saw actually a local winery that had an ad up for somebody to work in their tasting room. And so I went in and told them what we were doing, and and we. Um, I got the job there and started working with them. I was real honest about it because, you know, I didn't, I didn't want them to be surprised when I left in six months. <laughs> yeah. In six months, the contractor said six more months. Oh and that was six more months. Yeah, I worked with it for two years. <laughs> and um, uh, it was interesting because at that point we decided, you know what, we need a new location. And we looked for another location and, and found the building that we ended up leasing. But what was funny about it is I am positively convinced that if we had opened when we first thought we were ready, it would have been at the beginning of the, um, oh, I've lost the word. 2008 recession. 2008 yeah. recession, yeah. And we would be out of business by now, I'm sure of it. Mm. Um, but because we had that two-year delay and then another year of build-out and some things like that, we ended up opening in 2010. 
and we've been in business eight and a half years now and growing, so really kind of exciting. Awesome. So when was that first batch of mead that you made that you realized, oh my gosh, I have to do this? What was the first batch that won the award, or what was the first batch that we made? What was the first batch that you made and said, oh my it, gosh, this is it, so busy? It's funny, because we've never made one like it since. <laughs> um, it was a traditional, um, and, but it was, uh, and it was made with clover honey, mm. and it was, uh, we boiled the honey, um, not boiling it, but bringing it to 160 degrees and holding it there for 20 minutes um, to pasteurize it. Um, and it's, it's a process that uh, it yielded good results, but we realized we don't like doing all that work. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it didn't get, it ended up stripping a lot of flavors from the honey that I, I didn't okay. want to. Um, oh, so okay. I don't do that now um, or ever since. <laughs> Um, but that was the first one when we tasted, or actually it was so much fun making it um, that we, before we even tasted it, we were making our next batch nice. and our next batch and our next batch. Very cool. What's really funny about that batch is, okay, he said just a little bit, it was mediocre oh. when we made it. It was not great. It was mediocre. But we misplaced a bottle of it in the bottom of our pantry, which we found. And so when we opened our new business, um, in 2010, we actually took that out and decided to toast the new business with a bottle of the very first mead that we had made as home mead makers. And it was amazing after aging out of her <laughs> four years. Wow. <laughs> Eight years? Eight, Eight years. years. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. that shows you mead can age. Mead does age very well. Yeah. Very cool. So let's talk about the name, Starlight. I mean, it seems obvious. Is it as obvious it's, as it seems? It's not as obvious to everybody as you would think. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they don't know your last name. I think that's, that's it. <laughs> uh, so when, when Becky was laid, <laughs> was laid off from her job, uh, one of the packages that she got was to be able to take small business uh, or different types of, of uh, vocational um, uh, classes and one of the ones that she took was starting your own business. And the recommendation was, if you're gonna start your own business in order to avoid other people's business names, use your name in your business. And with a name like Star, it was just natural to, to use that. So we, we started with Starlight Mead and have run with it ever since. What's really funny is our last name's spelled with two R's, and we actually had somebody, a very lovely lady, <laughs> email us when we first opened and tell us that we misspelled our name oh, gosh. In, on our bottles and in all of our marketing because we put two R's in it. And it's like, thank you so much for your input, but no, we spelled it right. <laughs> yeah, and you really do a good job of connecting in with that, too, because, you know, Starlight, so you have, you imagine a nice sky, and then you're your labels, your logos, your everything is yeah. really kind of centered around that same concept. So that whole marketing thing, like yeah. branding, gotta got do it, gotta do it, that branding. Yeah. So how would you describe your style of mead making then? Uh, that's a interesting question. So, so it's, it's interesting because uh, there's a, a simple answer, which is I do it more of a wine style, um, but there's a more elaborate um, and that, that's, uh, that I like, I like over the top flavors. Uh, so when I'm eating food, when I'm, uh, drinking, <laughs> whatever I'm drinking, I, I, I like big, bold flavors. Um, I like, uh, I like nuanced flavors too. Um, but I want to taste something and I want to know that it's there. And so, um, a, a lot of my styles and what I'm making kind of kind of goes with that. It's it's what can I add to this to bring in some big bold flavors? Um, what can I what can I do to kind of make it really interesting? So oh, part of that is is the honeys you choose to use, and part of it is just the, the yeah, herbs ab and flavors. Absolutely, honey. I mean, that's the that's the fermentable that I'm using. It's also what I use to sweeten most of the stuff. If I'm if I'm not using fruit juices. Um, to sweeten it. Um, and so the honey is absolutely going to um, be an important component of that, um, which is one of the reasons that I, I like to use local wildflower honey because I'm able to talk to the beekeepers and taste the honey and uh, get raw honey, um, which tastes much better than 
any of the ultra-pasteurized stuff. Um, <laughs> and so, so I'm able to, to get some real different flavors in there. Our off-dry traditional is one of the most difficult things to, for me to make. Um, because there's nothing to hide behind. Right. And so all, all of the, the flavor is coming from either the honey or the yeast. Um, and most of that is coming from the honey. So I, it, it's one of those that I take pride in. So as far as yeast go, what, what specific, are, the, are there specific yeast that you use for me versus using yeast for wine? Or are, there, are, there, are they the same? Um, so I am make, using a winemaker's yeast. It's uh, the, the specific strain that I'm using is used in a lot of rosés and fruit okay. wines. Um, it's a, a Narbonne strain, and it, it comes from the Narbonne region in France. Um, it keeps more of the honey character, so even though I'm fermenting it to almost dry, um, it's still, you can still taste that it started out as honey, and that was important to us. So one thing I was thinking of, uh, you, know, you mentioned you like over-the-top flavors. What has been the most, I guess, two, <laughs> two, two part, what's been the most over-the-top that's worked? And what's been the most over the top that it was just too over the top and you're like, mm, we're not ready for this yet. I get to tell the second story. The <laughs> <laughs> um, So the, the uh, boy, do I have to choose one? Um, so I, yeah, I guess it was, it would be the kick and cranberry orange. Um, it's, it's not one of our best sellers, but it is uh, one of the fun, most fun to make. There is a, definitely a small cult following for that, uh, that mead, but it is uh, cranberry juice and orange juice and water diluting the honey, uh, fermenting that out after fermentation. Uh, I take uh, five pounds of locally grown jalapeno peppers, smoke those for about four hours, and then throw them into the mead let them think about what they've done for about a, a week, <laughs> pull the bag of peppers out, and then bottle what's left in the tank. So it is one of the most complex things that I make because you've got the fruit, you've got the citrus, you've got the, the um, pepper flavor, as well as the pepper heat, and that smokiness that kind of lingers. So it's just one of those uh, wines that, that you drink that, that starts one place and continues on throughout the, throughout the taste. Hmm. And I love that type of experience. That's awesome. We bring that out in October every year. Okay. Any reason why October? Or is it just that's the time of year when you're ready? Uh, cranberry orange goes well with Thanksgiving and fall, and so that's, that's when we do it. I'm also able to get the peppers around that time, so <laughs> that helps. Makes yes. definitely. So now, Becky, the second part of the... Oh, the yes. So I was out of town one weekend. This was a home batch, and Ben decided that he was going to make some pepper mead, which is funny that your, your best one is also a pepper mead. So he was going to make pepper mead. So he got some, I don't even remember what kind of pepper, oh, red and yellow bell peppers. He was trying to get a sweet pepper. And decided, you know, let's just throw one green one in just to add oh, just a little bit of that herbaceous flavor. Mm. Yeah. So it got fermented out, and we tasted it, and the whole stinking thing tasted like green peppers. <laughs> it was like liquid green peppers. It was disgusting. Oh, now, the really funny thing about this is neither one of us likes green peppers. We don't cook with them. We don't eat them. We don't, I don't know what the man was thinking. <laughs> It was hideous. <laughs> so defend yourself. What were you thinking? So, there is no defense for this. <laughs> I was thinking that if I roasted the peppers, that I'd bring in a little bit of the, the sweetness and that it would overpower some of the herbaceousness that <laughs> that green pepper brought in. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So what's your inspiration for all these different flavors? What, why, what go, what's your thought process? So uh, typically it's I'm eating, drinking, experiencing something, and uh, it, uh, it just occurs to me I could make a meat out of this. Hmm. Um, so the, the kick and cranberry orange, uh, the way that that came about is we were, um, we were listening. Uh, watching Food Network, uh, and there was a recipe for from Guy Fieri uh, that was a cranberry orange relish, and he had jalapenos in it. And so we decided uh, to, to make that one year, and I thought it was phenomenal. And it was years later before 
we decided to, to make a cranberry orange mead. But that's what I kept going back to, is those flavors just pair well together. Nice. So it sounds like that might be your favorite mead. Uh, it's, it's one of, it's hard to choose one. <laughs> um, it, it is one of my favorites. And it, 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 again, it, it's that complexity. Um, and I tend to like drier things. Uh, so that, that uh, is definitely there. Uh, ginger is one of my favorites. Nordic Blend is one of my favorites. It's hard for me to choose after traditional because it's so difficult to make. That's mm. one of my favorites. When it comes out perfect, it's just like it's perfect. Yeah. So yeah, it's awesome. Becky, how about you? What's your favorite? I'm totally a sweet girl. I admit it. I drink them. It's all me. Um, That's the, okay. The honey and black, most of our customers. And most of our customers. <laughs> uh, the honey blackberry is my favorite because it's sweet and tart at the same time, mm. which I really like. Because um, I like sweet, but I don't like syrupy. Mm. And and there's 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 an end range on my sweet tolerance and, and what's too far. Um, I also love our uh, spiced apple. It, it, which is our bestseller, and it tastes like apple pie. And uh, yeah, who doesn't love apple pie? Who doesn't love apple pie? And I, I love hard ciders, and so it's got that apple flavor to it with some of the spices. So nice. That's one of my faves. Very cool. So I guess let's back up a, a minute in case folks don't realize how meat is made. So maybe talk through <laughs> talk through how you make at least the traditional, and then from yep. there venture into the all these flavors. Sure. So at its core. Meat is fermented honey, um, and so if I dilute the, the honey with water, um, then it's going to be a traditional. It's just going to be honey, water, and then I add the winemaker's yeast in order to ferment it. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's, that's the, the basics. Um, then if I want to change up the flavor and I want it to be dry, I'm going to add the juices as part of the ferment. So if I want it to be an off-dry pear, uh, which is one of our flavors. Instead of diluting the honey with water, I dilute the honey with pear juice. Pear juice is about, about 10 or 11% sugars. So putting in honey that's 80% sugars, getting that up to the same sweetness level that grapes are at, because that's, that's what my target is since I'm using a, a, a wine yeast. Um, I'll go ahead and, and raise it up to 24% sugars and then ferment most of those sugars out, get to 12.5% alcohol, and have just a little bit of sweetness there to counter some of the acidity that, that was there from the pear juice. So what's your favorite mead and food pair? Uh, <laughs> you're going to kick me for keep coming back to this, but <laughs> kick and cranberry yeah, orange with... Uh, um, Shrimp and grits. Shrimp and grits. Oh, okay. It's, I can see that. Yeah, it's not everybody that makes a wine that pairs with shrimp and grits, but I do. We had an event uh, back when we first opened, and they paired a our honey peach with a Thai shrimp salad. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that peach is going to overwhelm it, and it really didn't. It was really beautiful together. Mm -hmm. um, I also am madly in love with baked brie and um, blackberry, <laughs> because yum. <laughs> also, our blackberries go great with chocolate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you got to have wine that goes with chocolate. <laughs> exactly. So for me, it's the pomegranate pink peppercorn mm -hmm. with salmon from the grill on Ooh. cedar plank. Nice. Pomegranate with pink peppercorn is great with a steak, too, because the um, peppercorn with a blackened steak is yeah. fantastic. I could definitely see that. Hmm. Or the sour one with the biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't go wrong with the sour one and the biscuit. This is my all-time favorite. Because I love sour one. So. Uh, so we're currently sitting in a new room in a new location. So talk to us about the new building that you guys just recently uh, built and uh, had the opening for. So when we opened our first location... Um, you know, it was, we're a new business, what can we get away with uh, without spending a lot of money? And so we leased a place that worked really well for us for eight years, but we outgrew it. Um, it had always been, in my mind at least, okay, both our minds, um, <laughs> even when we were negotiating the lease on our first place, we said, okay, eventually we want to buy land, we want to build a big mead hall, I want a big fireplace, I want a wraparound porch, I want some place where we can have events, you know, it, it was there. 
And so we finally got the opportunity to do that. And um, so we doubled our square footage from our original location, um, which is amazing. We built two separate buildings. Now we have his and hers buildings, which is pretty cool. Because he can keep his as cold as he wants to, and it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't bother the guests. So I'm good with that. Um, her building is pretty, just like her. <laughs> oh, that's the right thing to say. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so now we have the space to, um, we've actually had a wedding. We've got a couple more planned for this year, which I'm really excited about. We've done, been able to do some um, workshops and community events, and we just did a paint and sip. Um, because now we've got room for it. It used to be in our old place that people would call us and say, you know, oh, I want to have a bridal shower or birthday party there. And we're like, well, yeah, you can, but it's going to be right in the middle of the tasting room because we didn't have a, a special area for that. So now we have our event space, which is what we're sitting in at the moment. And then um, we've got the big, beautiful mead hall that I think looks amazing. Yeah, it does look amazing. <laughs> yeah. When we first walked in, this is our first time being here oh, since right. the new building had opened, and we are just like... This came out really nice. Yeah. We saw pictures online, but I mean, in person, it's just like the wow factor. So. The, the pictures, it was interesting because when the when the beams went up on the ceiling, Ben sent me a picture of it. And I, I knew, you know, I'd been in the space. I knew what the beams were supposed to look like. And I went, wow, that's great. And then I walked in and went, whoa, that's great. Because it just, yeah, the, the scale of it is, yeah. is something that's really, really neat. You guys haven't even seen the trench drain yet. <laughs> we're looking forward to that. Ben's been talking that up. So after we get done here, I think we're going to go see okay. it, right? Yeah, Ben's building is all about the trench drain. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's so let's okay. talk about the actual location and what all is going on here in sure. Pittsburgh. Yeah, so this is exciting because uh, we, you know, our old location only a mile and a half away. Um, it was in, in the back of an uh, old uh, mill building. Um, a little difficult to find, difficult to get to. We moved to a location that's also difficult to get to, <laughs> difficult to find. Uh, still, it's better now that the road is paved. Yes. Um, and first thing I know is Google Maps now. Yep. Yep. If you look at the, the actual overhead view, our buildings are actually there now. It's not, way to go to that. It's not just tasting in the trees. No, no, not tasting in the trees. <laughs> So, uh, but we, we decided to move down here by the, the land uh, that's very close to the distillery and the cider works that's just, just down the hill from us. Uh, so we've got this little beverage district going on. They're talking to another distillery, a couple of breweries about uh, trying to bring in more, um, more beverage producers here so that people can, you know, enjoy whatever they'd like. Um, enjoy several different ones, make an afternoon of it. Is that also going to involve some cots or something? In case you don't have too much <laughs> no, but we definitely need food. Yes, <laughs> yes you definitely need food. There is food coming. Yeah, so that we've got a farmer here that's going to be growing some of my ingredients as well. All right. Um, and she's opening a little cafe, so uh, she's wow. going to be serving uh, Very nice. all kinds of cool stuff. Very nice. So with the new location, uh, you mentioned that you wanted to really start having more events here, and you both really fell in love with me kind of during the Renaissance Festival that you went to. So you have an annual party that's an uh, annual festival that's called Meat Fest. So talk us through the connection there and how it works out well with the new location. Well, we figured since, um, since we had first had it at a Renaissance Fair, it's kind of fun to share our love of that. And we, we do dress-up days every once in a while and that kind of thing. And we decided, you know what, let's... Let's have a little bit bigger fun. So um, the we're doing it in September. It's the fourth Saturday in September, and um, Meat Festival is basically a mini Renaissance Fair. Um, we have vendors that come out uh, with all kinds of handcrafted goods. We've got um, knights that come out and do sword fighting. Uh, we've got music. We've got all kinds of crazy this things. This year, did you sign somebody up to do archery as well? Yes, we're going to have archery and axe throwing for the first time this year because we've got more room. <laughs> that would have been dangerous in the old location. I yes, guess. that would have been bad. <laughs> that would have been real bad. For the window. Yeah. But um, it's, it's a lot of fun, and, and we, invite, uh, we invite our customers to dress up too, and, and we sling a lot of meat around and have food trucks come in, and it's a lot of fun. We don't, we don't charge an admission for it. Um, and last year we did it on this, in this location for the first time, but we weren't open here yet. Um, and so it was, it was kind of fun to have the other 
uh, vendors or other uh, beverage producers that are here um, with their tables out sharing what they do and uh, we're kind of blown away by the what did we have about a thousand people show up last yeah. year wow. yeah it's it's gotten pretty big over the years That's <laughs> so traveling around you take probably taste a lot of mead and Let's talk about some of your travels in weed and how that's evolved. Whether it's just to taste and have fun, or if it's conferences or speaking engagements, that sort of thing. So, so it's fun because whenever we travel, we're always looking for mead. I was sent uh, by my current employer down to Argentina um, years ago to to do something, and I spent three weeks there looking for mead, and then found out the day that I was getting ready to leave that there was a shop around the corner that sold it. <laughs> so I bought a bottle and brought it home. But, um, but yeah, so we're, we're looking for it everywhere. Uh, we actually just recently took a trip for our anniversary up uh, and visited... It was seven meteries in five different states over a week. Wow. It was fun. Yeah. We called it the great meteriversary tour. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah. That, that, that was one of the places that I, I tasted several um, session meads, something that's uh, become very popular now where uh, it's a, a lower alcohol level, um, easier to drink in a, in a session where you're just sitting and, and uh, spending time, some time. Now that we actually have a place to sit and, and uh, spend time with friends and put a puzzle together or play great games or whatever, um, then we, we thought that, that would be a, a good thing to do. We also went to Denver earlier this year for the uh, American Mead Makers Association annual conference, which was fun. Um, I've spoken at it the last two years, which was neat. Um, but it's a, a wonderful um, opportunity for, especially a lot of people who are thinking about getting into the mead business, to go and talk to people who are already in the mead business and get pointers on how to start and um, branding and you know how to get financing and stuff like that so that's cool and actually next month we're, we're headed out to the west coast um, for Ben's mom's birthday and we've padded our uh, family trip with some extra days on each side so that we could go to meteries in Washington and Oregon because <laughs> oh, we haven't been out there before <laughs> nice so in your travels then when you're uh, tasting the different meads and you're, you're really kind of sampling around, how do you feel that, you know, the meads are different or comparable to the meads that you're making? So, so uh, I enjoy, I find something to enjoy in, in all the drinks that I have. <laughs> um, and uh, when it comes to meads, you know, there's, there's always something interesting. I had a, a wonderful um, espresso mead from uh, a mead maker in New Jersey. Um, and that's where I got my inspiration for our coffee. Um, now, it's different, it's, it's not the same as his, but it gave me ideas of some, some flavors that I could play with. Um, and so those are some of the types of things that, that happen. The other thing that's amazing in the meat industry right now is there's a lot of variety. And um, I mean, we, for the most part, have been making still wine-style meads, and as Ben mentioned, there are now sparkling or alcohol meads and everything in between. Um, there's fortified meads. So there's a lot of flavors and things out there. So that's part of the reason we love going is because everybody's style is just a little bit different. And even if um, a lot of meaderies make a spiced apple, it's kind of like a standard in the industry. And yet they're all different. And you know, some we like and some we don't like. And, and it's really kind of cool though to be able to go out and just try a bunch of different ones. As you know, because yeah. you go to wineries. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess I didn't realize that the spectrum of mead was so big. So you mentioned fortified, uh, of course, you know, the session, we'll talk about that here in a minute, the standard wine, but what else is there? Like, what other types of meads on so, the spectrum? So I'm, gonna, I'm going to do the uh, uh, unpopular thing and just say that according to the federal government, <laughs> mead is just honey, water, yeast, nothing else. Um, everyone else in the industry uh, <laughs> believes that if your most of your fermentable sugars are from from honey, then you know that's a mead. So that, that's what we go with. Um, there, there are all kinds of different ones. Um, we, we already mentioned uh, the the uh, capsimella, where you're adding uh, um, peppers. You're going to have to cut out all my ums. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
the, the peppers to, to a mead, um, but there's all, all kinds of different ones. Um, but I really want to get back to North Carolina mead. Oh, yes. Okay. So, so one of the things that, that we've been doing as far as travels is concerned, we have a tough time getting out of the business when other businesses are open. Um, but one real nice thing that, that has happened uh, recently is uh, we, with Honey Girl uh, Meadery, have started a North Carolina Mead Alliance. Hmm. And uh, so we're trying to get all of the mead producers, and not all of them just make mead. Some of them are making cider and mead. Windsor Run makes mead and grape wines, um, meads and grape wines. Uh, and, uh, and so we're able to, to get together periodically, uh, talk about how we can kind of grow the, this little burgeoning industry, um, and also share flavors and <laughs> share uh, each other's uh, wares. So it's, it's really fun. It's been a lot of fun because they're, it is so diverse. Um, you know, uh, Good Roads down in, in Charlotte is making a mead with avocado honey. Um, uh, Black Mountain, I, mean, I shouldn't name them all because I'm going to miss some, but Black Mountain makes some uh, delicious session meads. Um, that are just so easy to drink. Um, the, there are some beautiful meads coming out of the Asheville area that uh, are, are very uh, botanical. Um, Ian Bramble has the, um, the ginger that I love. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's just wonderful to taste all these different uh, spins on the same type of, of product. So if we have listeners who are out there maybe interested in learning more about it, where can they find out more about the NC Mead Alliance? ncmead.org. Okay, great. So you already talked about a little bit about education and educating others and, and your, in the work with the Mead Alliance conference and that sort of thing, but what other types of mead education do you do either through Starlight or outside of Starlight? We, um, we like to do classes. It's a lot of fun. We teach a uh, Mead Making 101 class that we've taught several times uh, to teach people how to make their own mead, which a lot of people don't understand why we would do that because, you know, why are we teaching people who already like mead not to buy our product? But, <laughs> but it's one of those things where we know a lot of people are like us, and um, once you taste mead, you'll go try find other meads. And so it's really a way, of, and that's what the meat, the meat Alliance too, is that um, just sharing that there's a lot of variety out there, and so that's fun. Um, we started teaching some intermediate meat making classes now, trying to refine the process a little bit, which is cool. Um, we've taught a couple of classes through some of the local community colleges on how to start a wine reaper or your meadery. Um, and those are fun because we, we get people in there that are like, they've started their business plan and then we get other people that woke up yesterday and thought it would be fun to open a brewery. And those people get a shock when they start hearing about all the licensing and the federal government and the state government and everything. Um, but uh, it's, it's fun to be able to talk to people that, that are thinking about getting into this and you know help them out. And, and it's interesting because um, when, when we were new, we got help from Dana over at Windsor Run. When, then when Diane at Honey Girl was gonna start, she came to us and we helped her, and now she's helping somebody else that's gonna be opening Bragg and Rooster in Raleigh. So it's, it's yeah, it, it's, cool. it's, it's a very pay it forward, and, and we love that part of it. That's great, it's great to hear giving back to the community. Yeah. And a lot of people do that, especially in the state, so it's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's very awesome. So we had mentioned several times, not the cranberry, the kick and cranberry orange, but the session bead. Uh -huh. So uh, let's talk a little bit about session beads for a moment. Sure. So uh, a session mead um, is, you know, lower alcohol, usually a little bit of carbonation, um, uh, typically lower sweetness, uh, something that you can just sit down and drink. Um, one of the things that I've been challenged with is because I like those over-the-top flavors, um, most of the session meads that I've tasted um, taste a little bit watery to me. They just don't seem to have enough of the flavors that I'm looking for. Uh, and so I, I've, I've fought from making one 
um, because I just can't make my style in a, in a session or so I thought. Uh, and then I started really thinking about, because so many of the bottle shops in the area have been asking for a local mead on tap, uh, I've been trying to think of what I could do and, um, and do in my style and uh, realized that I could, I could do kind of a, a mix on a Moscow Mule where I'm adding lime juice, honey, and, uh, and ginger juice to a fermented uh, honey and then uh, have a little bit of carbonation to it, have it be lightly sweet but not overpoweringly sweet, um, and the test batch was wonderful. Nice. <laughs> so coming soon. Yes. Coming soon. Yes. <laughs> Just got the formula approved. And that's exciting. I mean, once you add that session style, it's going to be so versatile. Things will be able to just, uh, it's more movable, more portable, uh, you know, different types of marketing that you could do for it. So mm -hmm. that's really cool. Well, I mean, we've gone to several of the um, like wine festivals in Fort App because we have a, a wine style need. We've been invited to beer festivals, but we tend to not do it because we don't have a beer style need. And, um, you know, people, especially if they're tasting beers and getting, you know, a four ounce pour and then they get a half ounce pour of our 12 and a half percent, they're not happy. So, <laughs> so being able to take these to some of those types of festivals will be fun too. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys have been in business now for, for quite a while. Um, would you say that the perception of mead has changed over time? The perception of mead, uh, most people don't know what it is still, uh, but when we started it was a good, between 85 and 90 percent of the people that come through our door didn't know, had never had mead before, didn't know what it was, thought it was more like beer, um, if they knew anything about it. Now, because, you know, it's eight and a half years later, we're, we're right around 80 percent so okay. it's still i mean it's better but there's there's still a lot of people that don't know what meat is well, and so a big part of our our thing is to educate them when you look at it too when we make, wrote our business plan so probably 10 years ago um, there were only 60 meteries in the country there's now over 400 wow. so and then with it showing up in game of thrones and harry potter and um, you know other pop culture references there's a um, skyrim online i literally had a guy a middle-aged man come in and say i've drank mead in the mead hall at skyrim but i've never had it for real i want to try it i'm like <laughs> okay we can do that for you um, but, uh, you know, because of the popular culture references, more people are going, oh, hey, wait, what is this? Um, and so we're getting more people in that want to try it. And then, of course, once you try one, you got to try more. That's, that's the way it works. So you brought up Harry Potter. I guess I feel a little left out. I'm not quite as big of a nerd, I guess, as you three are. <laughs> I mean, I was on Nerdball in high school, so, you know, maybe I outgrew it. I don't know. So let's talk about your nerdiness for a minute. <laughs> talk about your love of Harry Potter. Get it out of your systems. He doesn't get to talk about it at home, no. so. You know. Books over the movies for me. I never played Skyrim. We watched uh, Game of Thrones, so. We'll talk about Game of Thrones separately, but that's my, those are the two topics that are not on the list. Uh, see, I needed preparation for this. <laughs> well, obviously you have the Renaissance I was, was going to say, in Harry Potter, they had the place called Hogsmeade, mm -hmm. which um, they did serve meat, and it's mentioned more in the books than it is in the yeah. movies. Yeah. They thought that doing that to it children's movie was probably not good. Yeah. So they, I think they, they still called it Hogsmeade in the, in the yeah. movie, but they, they never referenced what they were pouring. Yeah. And then Game of Thrones, there was, there was one scene in one episode <laughs> where, uh, oh, two episodes, I'm sorry. Go ahead then. Caitlin <laughs> said it, and then uh, Sansa said it as well. It was it, part of the, um, the oath that the uh, Went with Brian, um, meet and mead on our table. At my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome at my high yeah, I don't remember the We table. should have that memory. It was good. Sorry. <laughs> so, so spoilers, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen the finale. So what do we think of the finale? <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like it better than most people. Um, I, I just, I thought that Bram was, I understood why, but I thought Bram was this weird choice. Hmm. I agree. By the yeah. time we got there, I didn't care anymore. It had been stretched out so long, I really didn't oh, care. I was pushing through this last season. Yes. I was like, 
I'm, I'm with you on that. I felt like it was the last couple chapters of the first book. I'm just like, come on. It has to be over already, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's bad because, you know, we've got 10 years invested in this. We've watched every single episode more than once. <laughs> and, you know, it's it felt bad to feel that way. Yes. It felt like a betrayal to feel like, wow, we just want to be over I kept now. feeling for Arya. I was like, she's got to be. <laughs> she told me Ice King, but, you know. <laughs> Well, we'll get back on topic now. Oh, okay. I have a fair So over the eight years of doing business, uh, what are some of the things that you've really learned that has helped you grow personally and in the business? So one of the things that I didn't know opening a business was as a small business owner, you're on the job 24-7. That was not explained to me. <laughs> that, you know, for the first couple of years, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would be sorting out problems and making lists and that type of thing. Um, that, you know, I have days off, put that in quotes, where I don't come down to the metery, but, like but, but I'm answering emails, <laughs> and I'm doing our marketing, and I'm recording putting, podcasts, recording, yeah, <laughs> putting Facebook posts, whatever, um, you know, so very rarely is there an actual day off, I mean, so even our last vacation that we took, we were going to meteries, and I was posting on, you know, Instagram and Facebook on, you know, here's where we are, Here, look, look, look how cool, ooh, yeah, mead. So, yeah, that, that was kind of a, kind of a surprise. Yeah, but there are other businesses that aren't nearly as fun. That's true. That's yes. true. Also true. Yes. So, Ben, how about for you? What are some things that you've learned? Uh, so I guess one of the things that we learned together was that, yes, you can survive a $5,000 mistake. Okay. <laughs> We've learned that less than a couple or, of times, actually. Or two. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it, it's one of those things that you, you have to look at everything. So one of the things that we really started looking at, um, when we are asked, because you're always asked to join a festival or join a, you know, pour your meat for free at this location. <laughs> give it us be great yeah, exposure. Great for exposure, you. yes. And so we, we started, you know, looking at every single thing that we do and saying, okay, is this part of our core? Is this something that, that we are getting something out of or that we believe in strongly? Otherwise, we're going to. We're going to pass up on it, and trying to not be everywhere to and be do everything, but just to um, limit where we're going to go, what we're going to do. Our our costs are a lot more expensive. Honey is the most expensive fermentable sugar. Um, quite a bit more expensive than grapes. A lot more expensive than grains, and so it's it's a a challenge to uh, to just. Or that for free. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, how much honey is in a typical batch of mead that you're making? So, uh, my off-dry traditional that, that is also my base for a lot sure. of what I'm doing uh, ends up being about 105 to 110 gallons of honey and about 400 gallons of water. So, have you done the math to work that down to one bottle? I have. I've got a sticker in the <laughs> tasting room that has it. I don't have it memorized. All right, we'll, we'll post it on the show notes page. Okay. So <laughs> the last couple of years, we've um, we've everybody always asks, "Oh, do you have your own bees? Do you do you grow all your own honey?" And it's like, okay, we've bought close to four tons of honey the last couple of years, and that's like the equivalent of three hundred beehives. So mm. no, not <laughs> way more than a full time job. And um, I already have two of those. At least. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine having a, a personal beekeeper on staff as well would also kind of add up on the expenses. Too. Maybe one yeah. day in the future. Maybe yeah. one day. That would be super cool. And we'd, it love would. To, we'd love to have enough honey to do a special like Starlight Mead Mead mm. where it's all our own honey and that type of thing. But we just haven't, haven't had the ability to do that yet. So we do have four hives. And we do have a local girl that takes care of them for us. Cool. We have a contract beekeeper. Yeah. <laughs> a beekeeper on retainer. That's right. <laughs> so you had mentioned that honey is one of the most expensive fermentables out there. Mm -hmm. um, how do you feel that maybe detracts or interacts with the perception of meat itself? So, I mean, obviously you mm -hmm. want to try to, to get a premium for the product that you're putting all your you know labor and love into, and, and it's not cheap. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a, a balancing act to uh, to price things at, a, at something that people are willing to pay, 
um, but there, there's cost to it as well. So looking for the value of it, um, one of the reasons that we use uh, local honey is because of the flavors that I can get from that. Um, and if I bought cheaper honey uh, from a conglomerate, I would get something that uh, is not going to be as flavorful, my opinion, as what I'm getting from the local beekeepers, but it would be a lot cheaper. So um, there, there are some things that you just have to spend the money on if you want a good product. And I'd imagine educating the consumers are also another big part of that too. They can't think that they can just go out and buy the little honey bears and get the same product. So Right, right. We do meat tasting or meat tasting. We try that again. We do honey tasting sometimes with people and you know, tasting the difference between what comes in the bear and what a um, unfiltered raw wildflower honey is, it's night and day. Um, and a lot of times after people do that, they never go back to the bear because it just doesn't have any flavor to it. Um, it's sweet, but it really doesn't have a lot of flavor. Um, the other thing is that sometimes people get sticker shock when they come in because they're you know, wanting that five or $10 bottle of wine and we just don't have it. Um, you know, We've got half size bottles that start at 15. Um, and then we go up to about 45 and, you know, part of that's the cost, of, a lot of that's the cost of the ingredients. Yeah. And so um, just teaching people that that's what that is and that, you know, with the, like, luckily with the local movement, when they hear, oh, it's local wildflower honey and we have a map on the wall and I say, every place there's a bee sticker that's a beekeeper that we bought from. So they have a visual of what's really going on and, and that helps a little bit. So... What do you look most forward to in the future for Starlight or yourselves? Or both? Since it's all one and the same, right? We live in North Durham, so almost an hour away. The next thing on our list of things to do after we've built this place is to move closer to it. Mm. And then shortly after that, uh, I hope Kodak's not listening. I would really like to leave my other full-time job and, and work for Starlight full-time. But right now it's just so much easier to get the loans and, and grow the business with sure. having that extra income coming in. Mm-hmm. And you have to talk to the boss and make sure she's okay with you. Yeah, of course. Too, right? yeah. yeah, definitely. She who writes the checks. <laughs> HR has to approve. Yes. Payroll, finance. Yes. That right so, there. So the real key is that you know I put in 45, 50 hours at the other job. Right. If she has to deal with me during that that whole time, <laughs> that could really stress our marriage. So oh, that's please that's great. <laughs> so, so what's left the biggest impact on you? The thing that has made the the biggest impact for me is uh, you know, seeing people come in, try me for the first time, or they try um, our mead even though they had one once that they didn't like, um, and they taste it, and their eyes light up, and their face lights up, and they say, "Wow, this is amazing." It's it's impactful to me, but I can't stand it. Okay. <laughs> I, have to, I have to walk away. It's nice to hear every once in a while, but you know, I just yeah, it's easier for me to hear the critics. Mm. Okay. But what I love then is then they bring their friends back, and then we had somebody recently who had come in for the first time, had me for the first time, came back a week later with friends, came back a week or and a half later with different friends came back another with some more friends wow. and it's like, ooh, we yeah, did something good yes, here. Yes. <laughs> Word of mouth is an awesome thing. Oh gosh, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that and we've, we've, um, we've grown our meat club over the years. Um, we're up to, geez, 1,700 people in our meat wow. club now. That's a good number. It's huge. Yeah. Um, and when we have events and, and they, like we had the uh, special open house for them when we first moved into the building, and a bunch, everybody showed up, and they were like applauding, and and they were thrilled with what we because it's it's their meadery too, and and so they they saw how awesome it was not only for us but for them too, and and that was really cool. That was very special. It's got to feel good at some part to have known that you built such a loyal base that yeah they're yeah. just they love coming, they love you guys, they love coming to be part of it. So yeah yeah. It's, it's amazing. Definitely a good connection there. So with 1,700 Mead Club members, what's the annual case production? So Mead Club members are 
friends of the me discount type. Right. It's, it's a frequent flyer program. Yeah. Okay. It's not a bottle club. But still, they're buying yeah. because they get a discount. So right. Yeah. No. So we're we're at a, uh, we have been just under a thousand cases a year. Okay. Uh, this year we'll probably cross that. Nice. All right. Excellent. Very cool. So we're kind of winding down on the questions here. Um, one last thing that we one last thing that we always like we don't love you guys really. <laughs> one thing that we usually like to throw in there is you know what do you want customers to the meadery to know when they come visit? What's one thing that you want them to know? That there's meat out there. Yeah, that and and that's that whole. The comment just a minute ago about um, somebody who's tried one once and didn't like it, that just like wine or just like beer, you can't try one and decide you don't like the whole category because as we mentioned earlier, there's so much variety. And so people that are brave enough, and, and, and really it is brave to, to come out and taste something new. I mean, there's things I look at that I wouldn't taste. <laughs> but um, to come out and, and give it a try, even though you may not have liked one that you had in the past, um, because there is so much variety. And, and even if they don't like ours, and that's okay too, because it's not for everybody, that could try another one somewhere else, and maybe they'll find a different style that they like better. Well, on that note, I want to say, Ben, Becky, thank you very much for chatting with us today. We definitely enjoyed having you on Cork Talk. Uh, we look forward to all the changes, all the growth, and uh, you know, future conversations. Yeah, thanks for coming out. We thanks appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Ben and Becky for hosting us at the Mead Hall. It's a great new building and has a bright future in the making. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. This helps others find our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, a cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers!